0: Hello and welcome to the Wise Women and Waste podcast series with me, Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity and Resource Efficiency at Anthesis, and Debbie Hitchen, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption. If you joined us for our previous episodes, you'll know that we are co-hosting a short series of podcasts that uses informal conversation to explore the trends and opportunities in our sector through the lens of women. We are inviting inspiring women in the waste and circularity industry to discuss our passion for the work that we do and provide some industry insights and knowledge along the way. Today, we are excited to be joined by two of our MPC's colleagues, Lucy Dyer and Joanna Soares. They will be sharing insights on sustainable finance with us today, and we are going to look at this topic from two different perspectives, from the upstream side on how sustainable finance impacts business performance and resilience and also the downstream perspective, where we are considering the impact on waste management, secondary commodities, and the circular economy. Welcome to you both. Before we dive into the discussion, I'd like to start by asking you to introduce yourselves to our listeners, and can you tell us a bit more about yourselves, your current role and the thesis, and how you came to be doing the jobs you're doing today. Lucy, do you mind to start us off?
1: Hi, thanks Claudia. Great to be here. I'm Lucy Dwyer. I'm an associate director at Thesis. I Within the ESG and sustainability strategy team, and I also have a foot within the sustainable finance team. So what that means is I work with corporate clients and also financial services clients, helping them with their sustainability strategies. I work quite a lot with private equity clients, in particular, so helping them to integrate ESG considerations into the investment life cycle. My background, more broadly, is in management consulting. So I've worked in strategy operations, helping businesses make improvements improvements for a number of years and I moved into sustainability about two years ago. I used to work at Business in the Community. And I recently joined thesis earlier this year. So it's great to be here today. Fantastic.
0: And what was your pathway into into the job kind of like you know, where came you back from a university? Is it a finance background or is it more a sustainability background?
1: So my background's more in business. So I did an MBA a couple of years ago, and I've always been interested in the link between business and the environment and the community. i so always kind of had a passion for that side of things and been involved with DSR activities and things throughout my career. And then kind of following the MBA, I wanted to pursue it more directly and I moved into the not-for-profit sector. So I worked at BITC and developed a measurement tool there around ESG. And I came to realize as well that we need to finance the transition and that financial services has a really huge role to play in this. I did a stint working at a private equity firm during the MBA and became super interested in the role that ESG can play in the investment and how we can really channel the funds towards better outcomes for the environment and for society. And I guess after that, I then did a CFA course in ESG investing. So a few things. It's a little bit indirect. And here I am, and thesis, kind of bringing all of those things together to help our clients.
0: But we love those kind of like slightly circuitous routes where people are focusing, getting different areas of interest. The more you understand, the more you can actually choose and and, and guide where you would like to go and where you would like to be. And that's always really reassuring for a lot of our listeners that there's no straight or not only one way. There's so many different pathways. Joanna, and what about you?
2: I was just thinking that I should have gone first because Lucy's much more interesting than I am. <laughs> oh, no. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. So I'm Joanna Suarez. I'm the director of transactions and corporate services within Antesis Lavola, the branch in Iberia of Antesis. And my background, it's it's more related to environmental engineering. That's my technical background where I started. And then after I was working a bit within the research, on the research area at the university, then I moved on. I changed a bit the scope of my focus to do more NGOs work on the lobbying side. And finally, for some reason, for a very personal reason, I got into the consultancy world and my initial years of professional work was basically on the merge and acquisition area and supporting all the M&As, deals, and transactions. So that's where I started to work as a consultant. And after that, I think it just has naturally been involved into the work that I do currently, which is similar to what Lucy has described. We we share the same working group on sustainable finance within NTCs, and basically we have seen how... ESG issues have been uh, evolved and have been affecting not only the clients, but also the general society and how we need to adapt and to evolve as well as professionals to be able to cope and to answer to their requests or to support them if they really want to grow in the sustainable way. So this is a bit of my background and how I arrived here.
0: This is really leading me very nicely to my first question to Lucy and really shows uh, the breadth of this subject area and, and the different skills that are needed to do properly and really to support a wide range of clients. I thought, Lucy, starting with we are using sustainable finance very confidently in this conversation, but it might be worth really checking in what do we understand then if we use sustainable finance because it's mentioned in relation to the un race to zero campaign cop 26 and the net zero financial alliance eu green deal also in the us on the new green deal and in a lot of different contexts so what in your mind is sustainable finance and what does it cover
1: yeah so i think you're absolutely right it's a broad term so In my mind, I always refer to sustainable finance as, it refers to the channeling of funds towards supporting the transition a green economy and it refers to you know the whole realm of regulation standards product all of which are aiming to have a positive impact or to reduce negative impact on that journey to a green economy so it encompasses everything from the inclusion of esg issues in investment decision making which is a lot of what we do to sustainable finance products so things like sustainability linked loans or supply chain finance and that's where a company's sustainability performance is linked to their ability to get kind of preferential lending rates and you're absolutely right this has been driven by the Paris Agreement the development of the SDGs back in 2015 they're really key drivers behind the development of sustainable finance solutions and then the EU Green Deal which was approved in 2020 builds on those further and that includes things like the EU taxonomy and the sustainable finance um, disclosure regulation, which I'm sure we'll dive into a bit more in this conversation. And both of those are supporting with a consistent approach to classifying sustainable activities or sustainable finance activities. And also disclosing, so encouraging corporates and financial institutions to disclose against the sustainability goals. So that's really to address greenwashing. Super.
0: Joanna, and from your perspective, how does it fit with worst and kind of like the circular economy? Because at the moment, then, waste is only a very small part of the sustainable finance sector. So, maybe in contrast to the green economy, we are often focusing on the circular economy and, and more the material cycles.
2: Yeah, just picking up what Lucy was just explaining, the financial sector plays like a key role. Right? within our society. So it's absolutely necessary to be connected to some commitments that Lucy was just mentioned that have been taken by different governments. So in order to connect that, and it has also, the financial sector has the capability to do this reinvestments, right? And to allow for the growth of the markets. So it's really important that this sector is involved and is committed with the same commitments that the companies and the governments are so this all need to be combined otherwise will not work so saying this, this is also the financial sector that is allowing in many ways to contribute to this low carbon business or to this infrastructures right and for instance taking the infrastructures investments it's it's relevant that we account for them and we account for the costs and the equipments and all that and that needs to be financed so it's better to be sustainable finance than just being finance so this is how this interconnects themselves so assuming that finance is required at all levels of our activities or the, the operational activities meaning the for instance waste management uh, the value chain right it's it needs to account for it the operations of waste treatment plants the way the waste is transported from our homes our offices to these treatment stations, how good the treatment and the equipment is in order to actually be efficient on its operation. Also, there's lots of opportunities for products design and relate, for instance, to plastics. No, it's a big topic and a hot topic. So if we use the finance players to support and invest on ways to better promote and, uh, product design and to allow for minimization on the use of resources... That will be much easier for all because we will overall reach the agreements and the pacts and the aims, the goals, the the carbon neutrality that we are aiming for, right? So it's important that we see this as and it's it's kind of a, a tricky one because it's circular, right? The circular way of it, to close the circle the circle, to close the loop and to understand how all these aspects need to be connected. Right? We are seeing that as, as you mentioned with, for instance, with the, with the Ukrainian situation, right? It has been impacted on every geography, I would say, right? Uh, one's affecting more, others affecting less. but it has been a really hot topic. So it allows us also to understand how we need to be engaged and how we need to evolve if we, we want to actually to have sustainable operations and sustainable investments to support these operations.
3: I would just like to say thank you. I think that was super clear, actually, to you and Lucy, both. Thank you. It reminds me that in this job, every day is a school day because I throw this term out regularly. But actually, that's the first really clear definition that I've got of how the differences affect the upstream and the downstream sort of business environment. And for me, just sitting here, I feel... That for the first time, I've got a really clear understanding of how sustainable finance can fund not just the transition to the low carbon economy or the circular economy, but from what Lucy was saying, also that sort of fair and just society that we've all signed up to. For me, I've always thought that the finance piece of this was a really key part. We talk about the value of those economies. We talk about how much the low carbon economy is worth the society, but actually we don't talk so much or perhaps we don't integrate so much in our conversations. The significant Impact if that finance doesn't come forward by the deadlines and the targets that we're all working for. So for me, I found that introduction really helpful. Thank you both. But Claudia, what I'd like to ask you is how can you help? bring this to life. So I know you work really closely with Circo Economy Impact Funds, and I'm interested to know how those financial mechanisms are supporting some of the operational change in the marketplace. So can you sort of bring to life for us a little bit about how funds are set up and how they sort of integrate sustainability in their KPIs and so on?
0: Absolutely. So I think it also made me think I'm only touching on all of these points with the work I do. And there's a much wider radius or environment out there. But what we see in the kind of like the circular economy side and secondary commodity productions, production of waste derived or non-fossil fuel products, materials that can be used, that a lot of funds are being set up. So a lot of more standard and our private equity houses, general funds that are being set up, that are newly set up, have a very specific purpose. Sometimes it can be really wide in terms of sustainable and renewable and everything comes under that. But there are also some really specific funds that, for example, say we are driving the the plastics recycling economy. We are driving use of secondary Commodities. We are driving digital development, software development, and that's really our purpose. And what's super interesting is that sustainability becomes sometimes as important as profitability. So they're really looking at installing sustainability criteria into their KPIs and what their fund would like to achieve and when they pay out to their investors. So they're aimed at attracting a certain type of investor, if it's a private individual, a company, uh, another fund, really to say, this is what we're about. This is what our fund would like to achieve. And if you would like to take part, these are our rules. And I think that is um, maybe also um, showing that the investment sector is not always just focusing on profitability, but that there's a really growing part in looking at sustainability, looking at how can we channel funds into more worthy courses. And also in order to attract money, you need to have this sustainability aspect. So you can't just say it's only about the profits, that more and more people or the organizations that hold the money are really asking those questions. That links a bit to Lucy's comment on the disclosure and what's important to people. So there has been this huge drive. And then I think the third layer is then the actual deployment of money. So the first one, one is kind of like, what is the fund for? The second part is kind of like, how are they measuring success and payouts, And the last layer is to look at what are they actually investing in? And we have seen a lot of people investing into energy transition to renewables, so away from fossil fuel that can be biomass, that can be gas natural gas biogas other areas but also into more circular economy principles and i love that joanna mentioned we're starting at the design and this is really the full circle and that can be material economy but that can also be knowledge-based software, technologies, designs, and really supporting small and big companies to develop more solutions to create a circular economy or to create a green economy. And I think that makes it really exciting and it gives you access to a really wide range of very clever people that are really coming together for a good cause and for the right reason and why we go to work every day.
3: That is really helpful. Thank you, Claudia. Continuing my learning, I think it was Lucy just now mentioned the EU taxonomy. And again, this is a phrase that I think many of us have heard recently. And it's a really complex sort of multi-strand policy tool, I guess, for driving change. And I wonder whether, perhaps this is a question to you, Johanna, can you help us to understand or help our listeners to understand a little bit more about what does the EU taxonomy actually incorporate? And how is that linked to driving sustainable finance, particularly into the downstream circular economy parts of the supply chain that you're working with so
2: the eu taxonomy i like to call it it's like a, a dictionary okay it's a place or it's a regulation where we try to define which are the sustainable activities or operations. So it's like a list, a classification system, okay? a Taxonomy, it's a term that comes from biology. So it's a term used to actually to classify the species. So the aim or the logical behind the use of tax- EU green taxonomy is the same. It's to classify which are operations that are economic and environmentally sustainable. So this is the main aim of the regulation. Of course, as all regulations, there have been some requirements to align this legislation. But the EU taxonomy, it's important and we understand that it's a very complex regulation. It's very broad, but it's a good first step to kind of create this baseline that lots of players and lots of sectors were actually asking for because we didn't have that. So it was very wide and very broad the scope on how to introduce or to define what is sustainable and is not. Okay, so having this into account, it's also important to understand a bit the three main things that you taxonomy asks you for. So first one, the U taxonomy has defined six environmental objectives and being one of them is the transition to circular economy. Okay? So if we aim that and what the regulation says is that first, a sustainable operation needs to contribute substantially to one of these objectives, okay? To one or more of these six objectives, okay? Going very fast through the objectives, it has to do with climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, sustainable use and protection of water and resources, the transition to the circular economy, pollution prevention and control, and the protection and recovery of biodiversity and ecosystems. So, these are the six environmental objectives that the activity needs to contribute substantially to one of these objectives. Then you have the, the second requirement, which is do not cause any significant harm to the remaining five that you are not contributing substantially to. And the third requirement is to comply with minimum social uh, guarantees. So this is a very broad and high level uh, summary of what is the new taxonomy and what is the aim of it? This regulation also sets some technical screening criteria that will allow to confirm or to define the metrics, let's say, for contributing substantially to one of the objectives and not to cause any harm to the other objectives. So, focusing now. On the circular economy or the transition to a circular economy, this has kind of four, let's say, high level areas. Okay, so it's kind of categories that are included within the, the U taxonomy. The first has to do with design and production. Okay, so aiming to reduce the waste that is produced by creating and having products that will have an extended life. So extending the life of the materials and the products. And then there's the use, let's say the circular use, which is aiming to kind of prolong the use of the products. Okay. So we can continue to use on the long-term the products as well, reducing waste and also not using so much resources as we need. And then the third one would be the recovery meaning that all the recycling streams and allowing for the reuse and or even the recovery of certain products. So again, minimizing waste and not going to get further natural resources. And finally, the one that got to do to the circular support. The circular support means like promoting and raising awareness, training, enabling tools to make the production the use and this extension of the life of the product to facilitate that path. This is very generally speaking on, on how the circular economy goes, for instance, within the taxonomy. It's a bit like trying to summarize something that is very complex, but trying to summarize in the way that may be understood.
3: I think it's really helpful. Thank you. And I think actually, Claudia, what this is making me think about is whether we might have a separate session for another podcast on this topic of the taxonomy and really dive into it.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the maybe quick questions is, who does it apply to? Who needs to comply with this regulation? I think if you can just maybe answer that, I think that might just be helpful. But Lucy, if, if or now who would like to answer to that?
2: Well, it's applied to economic activities, okay? So it goes to all the economic activities. If they want to be classified or as sustainable activities, operational and economic activities, they have to comply with. What I think it's important, and maybe apologies for not mentioning this before, but what I think it's also important to understand is that the classification system, all the classification systems bring some uh, discrepancies, right, within all sectors. So there are certain activities that have been excluded, let's say, from this list of economic activities that are considered as sustainable. Okay. and. If we focus on waste, because we are thinking about on, uh, on the waste sector, waste to energy incineration has been excluded. So, as you can imagine, this has been a big fuss for the sector, especially because the EU taxonomy has incorporated recently natural gas and the nuclear energy has uh, been considered and listed as one of these economic activities. This is something that has been making lots of organizations and association waste managers, to have some discussions around this topic.
0: Absolutely. And that's definitely one for another podcast. but I think the, the good news is a lot of people and a lot of sectors, and that makes it so complex, are covered under it. So it needs to be really broad in terms of criteria, and then those criteria are very much and the discussion and how our discussion and, and view of the world is really developing. I would like to pick up on that with Lucy. So how is the changing focus on sustainable finance impacting good practices in ESG framework and how important do you think it for the future of our global economy? Because we have already picked up on one thing where maybe opinions differ, but overall we are very clear that it is making a huge difference. So what, in your view, is what's driving it? Where's ESG going to certainly?
1: Yeah, so in the world of ESG, there's kind of this thing that's referred to as the alphabet soup of frameworks and standards. And so if you're a company trying to understand what you need to do in terms of disclosures, you're presented with a whole host of different acronyms like the GRI, the SDGs, the ISSB is one that's emerging. Just there's so many different acronyms. And I think the role that kind of all the sustainable finance regulation is playing here is really helping to consolidate and hopefully will lead to a more consistent approach to these disclosures. So the SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which is very closely aligned with the EU taxonomy, will also be underpinned by something called the the CSRD. And that will, in time, become best practice for businesses, certainly in the EU, to disclose against. And so what that means is businesses will have a common set of standards, which are being developed by the European Commission, and a framework to disclose against, so that investors and other stakeholders can better understand what that business is doing in terms of their sustainability activities and performance and it will help investors to understand where they are best to allocate their money and how they can track loans that they're making and so on. So I think that's one side of things which it's sustainable finance is really influencing because the real push has come from the investment community to get that consistency. And, you know, we already see that consistency when you think about counting standards and when you look at financial statements and so on. So there's this real push to get that same integrity in the non-financial information. And then I think on the other side, and I think you were touching on this before, Claudia, is around the value creation opportunity. Investing in sustainable solutions is increasingly being recognized as a huge value creation opportunity. I read recently that it's estimated to be around $4.3 trillion worth, according to an Accenture report. And you know, to your point, we're seeing more and more funds being raised that specifically are looking to invest in secular economy projects, but also we're getting a broader trend around impact funds. I saw that there was a new fund raised, which was around $215 million by the Secularity Capital Group, and that is actually going to be SFDR Article 9 aligned. So what that means is they will solely look at investing in projects that have a reduction in carbon emissions as their sole goal their main objective. So that's really exciting to see that kind of uptick in funds being raised for that specific goal. And kind of aligned with that as well, as I said, we do a lot of work with um, private equity. And kind of broadly, ESG is raising more and more the investment agenda for PE. And it's around, I think, 88% of limited partners now think about ESG impact before they think about their investment decisions. Which is you know, a huge amount more than than what it was just a few years ago. And renewable energy is kind of often the first thing that all investors look to, but that, as we know, that's only going to fulfil part of the need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So there's this whole other section of the emissions that need to be addressed, and you know, that will be done through really innovative circular business models. There's a really exciting opportunity for investment there, you know, looking at things like subscription-based revenue models and tapping into that sort of sharing economy, which is coming more to the fore, particularly with changing consumer preferences and the like. So, yeah, I think it's a really exciting space. And I think financing the shift to circular economy, to the circular business models more broadly, is going to be very important
0: absolutely and it's kind of like has been such a pleasure to talk to you both and as always we are only just scratching the surface and really sustainable finance is clearly a gross area not just for our sector but generally for the economy and how we do business and we're also finding that a lot of people are really rethinking their revenue models and how they appraise investments then the money flow And they need to rethink it because if we are changing to a circular economy, the money flow also needs to be circular and follow that. I can just only say thank you so much, Lucy and Joanna, for joining us today and sharing your insights and upcoming plans. It's a real pleasure talking to you during this podcast. And to our listeners, if you have any comments or questions about anything you have heard in this session or anything you would like us to cover in the future, please get in touch via the Antesis Group website or our email, or reach out on LinkedIn, and especially which part of this conversation you might like us to deepen a bit more and have a deeper dive into European taxonomy or financing criteria, different aspects, different sides. I think there's so many other follow-up conversation with you two or other colleagues in this area. Until then, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.